be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Creation groans, it cries out, it cries out for that day when all is made new. Man yearns. We yearn for that day when sickness is no more, when suffering is no more, when persecution is no more, when temptation is no more, when sin is no more, when the devil's assaults are no more, when death is no more. And that day is on the horizon. It's coming sooner rather than later. You see, to be in this world, though, is to be where all of those things which we long to end, they still are around us, and they assail us, among us. Martin Luther, in his hymn, In the Very Midst of Life, speaks about these things, such as sin, death, and God's wrath and the fires of hell surrounding us in this life. And if you remember that hymn ends each stanza with, Have mercy, O Lord, because that's what we need. We need God's mercy. We need God to do only what he can do, for without the Lord, without his work for us in Christ, we are lost. We're lost forever. Now, that gospel reading today shows you all of these things, and that vivid imagery of these two miracles worked by Jesus. So listen again for a minute to that first miracle recorded by St. Matthew. When Jesus came down from the mountain... The Sermon of the Mount. He just finished the Sermon on the Mount. Great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, it's not always the case that Jesus will touch someone when he heals them. It happens at different times, and he does it different ways throughout the Gospels. But here's this leper, one you wouldn't dare touch, but Jesus touches him. Touching that leper would have made Jesus unclean. But Jesus did that in order that the leper would be healed. And he was. He was cleansed. So we see the Lord entered the world where leprosy and all sorts of diseases, infirmities, they infect people, they inflict all sorts of suffering, all sorts of death, all sorts of ostracization as this man was no longer allowed to be around his family. But creation, God's creation, is attacked and it testifies to its fallen state, which is outside the bliss and life of Eden. God created everything out of nothing by the mere speaking of his word, and only since the fall into sin has all of this been corrupted. But what remains around us in this gospel reading, and what lays before us, is that Jesus is the one who came into this creation. He doesn't just sit up in the heavens and watch and see what happens, but he entered into it, he walked among this, and he actually touched this diseased, unclean leper. The one without sin touched the sinner. The eternal word of God became flesh and dwelt among his people. But we know that redemption, being bought back from sin, death, and the devil, is no walk in the park. It's dirty business. It's unclean. It's messy. And it comes at a cost. 
Seeing Jesus through this work, this miracle, points you to him who does restore and recreate, even as all things have been created by and through him. Now, every time we see a miracle worked in the Gospels, they point us to that fact that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a divine revealing. It's a word, theophany, where we get epiphany from. It shows us this guy, Jesus, is who he says he was, just as the prophets foretold. But it always points us then to the future, to that day when sin, sickness, suffering, and death are no more. It kind of inbreaks into this and gives us a little glimpse, a little glimmer of hope of that day when the Lord will wash all of those things away. But we hear that and we ask, but what now? It's all well and good to hear those miracles, but we're still living in this world. Sin still clings to us, there's still sickness. There's still suffering. There's still death. Well, Matthew goes on in the next miracle to teach you exactly what this all means. And it's seen in an unlikely source. A centurion. A Gentile. So listen again to what Jesus did and said. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So here's this centurion. He's a soldier. And not just that, but he has a lot of people under him. He's a guy who knows how to give orders. And he expects those orders to be followed. When he speaks his word, you do it or you pay the consequences. So here's this guy. He comes to Jesus in humility, asking him to heal his servant. We don't tell, we're not told anymore that he's paralyzed and he's suffering terribly. Is it from an accident? Is it from birth? We don't know. But in that day and age, to suffer terribly and being paralyzed, that man is dying. And so Jesus offers to go to this guy's house, but the centurion knows that as a Gentile, Jesus would be unclean if he entered into his house. He's not just saying, Lord, my house is untidy. You don't want to see the mess that we have. You know, we have all kinds of kids running around and everything like that. It's just absolute chaos. No. He's humble. And he trusted God to act and act through his word. So he doesn't make demands of Jesus. He doesn't bark out orders to the Lord like he does to his soldiers. No, he looks to Jesus, he calls him Lord, and he trusts that he will do only what he can do. So then the centurion is held up in Matthew's gospel as quite a contrast to that Old Testament reading. There's Naaman. And what did he do when Elisha told him to go wash in the Jordan? Did you catch how Naaman was a commander in the army too? He was used to barking out orders. No, we're told, but Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away. And rage. 
So when told the word of God, Naaman, who was a leper, his response was not in humility. It was, really, you're going to tell me what to do? Aren't there better places that I could have this done? Israel? You want me to wash in Israel's waters? I'm from Syria. The waters of Damascus are way better than that. Quite the contrast. The centurion is the man who said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. So what is God teaching you in all of this? Well, listen further to the response of Jesus to the centurion. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So there's two astonishing things in this in the response to all this happens. Jesus marveled at this guy's faith. Shouldn't we be the ones marveling at Jesus? Typically in the Gospels, you marvel at what Jesus does. But Jesus marvels two places in the Gospels. One is at the unbelief of the Jews, and here it's at the faith of a Gentile. How fitting is that for the Epiphany season? But you see, the centurion fixed his eyes on Jesus. He trusted the Lord to work, believing his word. So great a deed was the faith of this man. So that teaches you what your faith is to look like, or rather to whom you should look to as you go through this world, this fallen creation. Because as you are in the midst of this life and everything around us we see in this fallen world, you have Christ and you have salvation. And what that does is it forms your thinking, your actions, what you say, and even your whole life in this world. It defines it. It defines even your very breath that you take. Because it's a tiring thing to look around you and to see so many things, such as sickness, suffering, war, rumors of war. Sin and the devil would have you look at those things, to see those things around you, to see evidence of the fallen creation, and to be afraid, to despair, and to take your eyes off of Christ. And to not look to the future that you have in him. But God calls you to be faithful. Because it's tempting to be like Naaman as well. To try to define our life toward God in a way that we think is right and good. We see our leprosy or we see those things and we start making demands of God. Sin wants to put God in our life in ways that we can manage him. Or that are convenient for us. Sinful man wants God to be the household God that we can pull out of our back pocket when the going gets tough, or when we want to try to rationalize our life as being justified because we're so busy, we have so much going on, and we're really the ones who God should wait upon rather than us hearing God's word and following what he says and commands. A life not lived in faith towards Christ is a life that despises preaching in God's word. So if the centurion is held up before us in humility of faith, the opposite of living by faith and humility towards God and confidence in his word is a life lived in pride. Pride towards oneself. Pride that is deaf to God. 
But God sees through all of that. Just as Jesus marveled at the faith of the centurion, he marveled at the unbelief of the people in Mark 6. He looked at them and saw their unbelief. So look around you and see you are still in this world. Martin Luther and his Christian questions and answers when he asked if, if you doubt that you need the Lord's Supper, if you doubt that you need God's word and those things, look around you and if you're still in this world, and he literally says, grab your flesh, grab a chunk of it, and see if you're in this world, you need the, need the things of God. Because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Sin is crouching at the door. Nations and leaders seek to persecute the Christian faith. Illness, disease, suffering are all around and in every place. And death stares at you. And you have an appointment with that someday. But repent as now is the day of salvation. Turn from these things and do not be weighed down by them. So creation groans in anticipation of the day of redemption. But humble yourself and look to Christ and his mercy toward you. Now in that epistle reading today, St. Paul wrote by divine inspiration, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Jesus is God in the flesh. And not only that, but he cares for you, his creatures. You see, that's always the wonderful thing as we think about creation, as we think about the Lord walking among his people. He entered into the world and redeemed you by his blood. And he actually cares for you. He cares about your body. Even as God formed you out of nothing, he actually cares that your body is well and that it will be restored. And the means by which he accomplishes it is accomplishing your salvation. So he touches this man who has leprosy, just as he's taken on your iniquity, as he's taken on your infirmities onto himself, as the anointed one, the one in whom the Father is well pleased. And he goes as the substitute, the one to suffer God's wrath, the one to pay the price that you owe in your place. In Revelation 21, St. John wrote, And he who was seated on, the thrones, seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So Jesus makes all things new. He's the beginning. He's the end. And you're, just as you are baptized into him, you are a new creation. Your sin is forgiven. So as you go through this world, you go through one who has eternal cleansing, who has eternal healing, who has eternal life. So though the times of trial and suffering may be great, the Lord is greater still in giving you the victory over those things. Because you have eternal life in Christ, and that means everything. So Jesus cleansed the leper and he healed the centurion's servant. And your body that's sitting here in the pews right now in Keystone, Iowa, will be raised from the grave on the last day when the Lord creates a new heaven and a new earth, free from sin, free from suffering, free from the assaults of the devil, and free from death. And so even as we may sit here and we might feel the, the labor pains of wanting to be for that day as our eyes deteriorate, as our health deteriorates, or any number of aches and pains that we have, 
And as our sin stares its ugly face, we fix our eyes on Christ. And we know what we have now, and we know what awaits us. And so we cling to those promises that in your baptism, God has washed away your sin, that he has rescued you from death and the devil, and he has given you eternal salvation. And you hear those words spoken today, that your sin is forgiven, and you cling to those and know that they are for you. And you feast at the supper of the Lord, taking into your mouth the true body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. And we pray to the Lord without ceasing, knowing the Lord hears and answers our prayers according to his good and gracious will, even as we call him our Father. So hear this word of God today and look to that day to come when you are raised where you will be with the Lord and all of God's saints in that new creation forever. Amen.